And as you do, I want to thank you again for being here. I want to thank you again for tuning in online as we are in our last Sunday of the Gospel Project for a little while. See, we're going to be moving into giving thanks next week with communion and then follow that up with four weeks of Advent. So we're going to be taking a small break. And today's break uh, is as we get into this holiday season, this is kind of a weird way for us to head into the holiday season, honestly. Because today's message, we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. And John chapter 11, as I've already said, is about Lazarus being called out from the grave. But what we're going to really focus on today is death. It's death. I know you're like, yay, I'm so glad I'm here today. And, you know, as we look at death, we're not just going to look at death, but maybe disappointment and hurt and pain on a little bit of a lesser level than just death. And while this might not be a fun message for us to talk about, my deepest hope and prayer, my deepest hope and prayer is that we will not be looking at this as a dark and morbid message, but instead that it will be a message of comfort in a message of encouragement and for each of us to actually draw closer to Christ from the stories that we see here today. Because I want to start with this. The one thing that all of humanity has in common is death. Uh, statistics say that one out of every one person dies. So, so we will see it. We find that death is without prejudice it doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what age you are. Death is without prejudice, and it comes to each and every one of us in its own individual terms. Being a chaplain and a pastor and being alive for almost 45 years, I've experienced and seen my fair share of death. I can still remember the very first time I experienced death. And my guess is if you've experienced death before too, you can say the same thing. The very first time I experienced death is I had a puppy by the name of Bubba. Bubba had squeezed through the fence into our neighbor's yard and fell into our neighbor's pool. And I found him that next morning uh, floating in the pool. And that's something that still I can remember. I can vividly picture it. It was devastating for me at the time. And that is what death does. And since that day, I've been to lots of funerals. I've led lots of funerals. And it didn't matter the age. I did it for babies. I've done it for toddlers. I've been to one for kids, one for teens, one for young adults, for adults, and even the elderly. I've been a part of funerals all the way across. And the, the thing is, I've stood with families trying to figure out, trying to cope with loss, trying to, to figure out the, the what-ifs, the confusion that comes with death. I've prayed for bodies, for families, as I stood as a chaplain. I've had people say, can you anoint them before you leave? I actually carry a little jar of anointing oil in my glove compartment of my car, but I still have a hard time touching a dead body. So I'm like, can I just... Can I just drip that oil? Is that okay? Can, can we consider that an anointing? Because there's something about it inside. And I know we have lots of people that are watching online. We have lots of people within our church. I have lots of friends that are first responders, and, and they see it even more often than I do. And maybe they're a little bit desensitized to it. We celebrated Veterans Day this last week. I know lots of our veterans have seen things that we can only try to imagine. But death is very real. And I think we all, even if we've seen it lots, struggle to go through it. Death is hard. Death is ugly. 
one of the things that I've, I've found is that as a society, we have done a really good job of trying to cover up the hard part of death and done a really good job of trying to cover up the, the ugly part of death. Did you know that 80% of people who die, die either in a hospital or in a nursing home? And they're either alone or they are heavily medicated with family so we, we don't hear the pain and we don't see the pain and we don't experience the hard, ugly part of death. But if you go back just a little over 100 years, that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. See, when somebody died a hundred years ago, and even now I want you to take this and, and hold it into the cultural context of what we're going to be talking about with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus here in a little bit. But if somebody died, they died in the room next to you. And in that dying process, they might be right next to you, not just in the room next to you, but in that dying process, there is no morphine to ease the pain, ease the anguish, ease the hurt. So you're going to hear that and you're going to experience death in a whole different way 100 years ago. And then you keep going back even further than that. See, there was no medical investigator to come and take the body away either. This, this was on you. There was, no, uh, there was no embalming that took place really unless you were really rich. Even more so, there wasn't a makeup artist to make that body look as natural as possible. Death was uglier then, and we've done a good job at trying to, to cover up those things. Here's the crazy thing that I was reading this week. Did you know that people used to take their Sunday afternoon picnics and have them at the cemetery next to their... If we saw that now, what would you think? You'd think those people were crazy. We, we just don't do that. Because we have kind of pushed death away from us. And even though today we've done a good job of covering up, the truth is the ugliness is still there. The ugliness is still there. And as I looked over this passage this week, a question kept coming to my mind as I looked at the reaction of Mary and Martha with, towards Jesus about their brother Lazarus dying. And that I was wondering, would I have the same reaction? Would I have the same reaction the same way? Is there a point in our lives, is there a point where death becomes too much for me? Is there a point where disappointment that God didn't do what I wanted him to do or do it the way I wanted him to do it, is there a point where it becomes too much for me? Is there a point that we talked about even last week that, that there's that hard truth of everything else is temporary consume him but the eye-opening truth is everything else is temporary coming to that end is there a point where i say i can trust you in that or do i say no god i'm walking away and i've seen it lots and lots of times in funerals i've seen it lots and lots of times at, in just standing next to a person where people just are breaking and hurt and angry and disappointed and going god where are you where were you what are you doing why are you doing this to me and we have these questions. Well, my goal is, is to answer those questions today, especially, is there a point where death becomes too much for me? But you have to wait till the end to hear it. I'm going to try and hold you in on that one, all right? But the reality is, is I want to show you first how God deals with death and pain in John chapter 11 and how it fits into his love for us. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up to John chapter 11. You have your digital devices there. Even on the version, we have the, the My Events that's there. You can check that out and follow along in John chapter 11. But this passage records the account 
of the death and subsequent resurrection of Lazarus, a close and personal friend of Jesus. The passage is one of those passages that I think we can look at from the outside, that we can look at from, from 2,000 years later and go, ah, I see what Jesus is doing. But like we've done lately with the parables and, and the different teachings, I want you to get into the shoes. I want you to get into the cultural context. I want you to see what Mary and Martha and everybody else was experiencing. I want you to be there, and for some of you, it'll be easier than others, because if you've experienced death to somebody that is close to you, uh, you'll be able to identify. You'll be able to see how Mary and Martha respond, or even if you've ever felt like God has let you down, I think you're going to be able to fit right into the story very easily. But the few of you that never have experienced it, I hope this helps you when you do, because I'm going to guarantee, and I hate to say that, but I'm going to guarantee that it's going to happen. Because like I said, chances of death are pretty high. And again, my goal isn't to focus on the morbidity of death. And I hope that's not what you're seeing so far. But instead, I want you to see how this passage actually draws us closer to Jesus. How this passage actually draws us closer to Jesus. I want you to see the glory of God and how he loves us, especially in the midst of disappointment and pain and hurt and even death. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading the first six verses of John chapter 11. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, in a village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed Lord, the Lord with a perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, immediately as we pause right there in verse 6, a question comes to mind. And that question comes to mind is this. If Jesus truly loved, and it says it three times, by the way, but if Jesus truly loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, why did he let Lazarus die? If he truly loved them, why did he let them die? Because, you know, by definition, our human thinking would say that you are going to Take care of the ones that you love. You're going to protect them from hurt. You're going to protect them from death. You're going to protect them from disappointment. And Jesus, instead of doing that, waits two days before he even leaves. How can he say that he loves him? How can he say those words? I mean, in verse 5 and 6, it specifically says that Jesus loved the three, but he waited. He waited. They suffered. Lazarus died. So when we see that, how can we answer this question? When we read these passages, what is God trying to show us? What is being revealed in these first six passages? Well, this is what I think is being revealed to us. It's this. The love of God is about seeing and showing the glory of God. The love of God is about seeing and showing the glory of God, not the removal of pain, not the removal of disappointment, not the removal of hurt, and especially not the removal of death. It's about the glory of God, and we need to understand this. This is a statement I probably need to hold on to more even as a parent. It's this. Love is giving people what they need most, not what they want most. 
Love is giving people what they need most, not what they want most. And there's no doubt that John wanted you to know as he wrote this passage that Jesus loved Mary, that he loved Martha, and he loved Lazarus very much. It's mentioned, like I said, three times in this passage. And then he mentions how Mary's actually the one who anointed his feet with oil and wiped it with her hair because he's writing actually backwards on this. So as he writes that down, we need to understand that's a personal relationship thing. So there is a real relationship here. And we see the love in the story, but we also see later in this story, we haven't read it yet, but in verse 14, that Lazarus has died. And Jesus let him die. And we know from everything else that's been going on that we've been talking about for the last months that Jesus is a miracle worker, and he's been able to heal people, and he's been able to turn water into wine, he's been able to calm waves and calm the storm, and he had all of this. Why does he let him die? Why does he let him die? Because he could have stopped it, but he didn't. And even though he didn't, it says he still loved him. So with that in mind, he loves them, but he still lets Lazarus die. I think we have a personal problem in our own personal world here. And you know what that problem is? Our definition of love does not match God's definition of love. Thing is, our definition of love keeps changing, but God's stays the same. See, Jesus actually defines love in a roundabout sort of way in verse four. Let me read it again for you. This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified through it. Did you see the definition? As a definition, the love of God is about seeing and showing the glory of God, not about removing pain. He said, I want you to see my glory. In Jesus' love for us, he does whatever it takes for us to see his glory. Whatever it takes, because that's what it's all about. His glory is what it's all about. And that whatever it takes even includes death. As a matter of fact, that's why we celebrate Easter. There's a bigger picture here for us to see than just Lazarus, than just death itself. But we'll get to that. But even as we say, this shows us his glory, I guess we really probably need to define a question. What does it mean, his glory? How do we define glory? Well, the first thing I saw was this. In the definition, this is a form of excellence which naturally brings admiration and praise. A form of excellence. Jesus is a form of excellence, no doubt, and it brings admiration and praise. See, God's glory is everything that makes God worthy of worshiping and praising Him forever. That is God's glory. It's us being aware of who God is and who we are, or better yet, who we are not. Sometimes we try and flip that, that the created somehow needs to be worshiped by the creator, but that's not the way it works. The creator is worshiped by the created in all of his perfection, in all of his splendor, in all of his beauty. It brings admiration, his excellence. So with that in mind, we know that Jesus allows Lazarus to die, even though he had the power to heal. Even though he had that power, and in the process, you know what happens? He hurts Mary, he hurts Martha, but he does it because he wants them and others, as we'll see in the story, to see his glory. He loves them so much, he wants them to have life through death. And I know that's a hard thing to grasp sometimes, but that's what we're seeing in this passage. And ultimately, that's exactly what love does. Seeing and showing the God, the glory of God leads to life. It leads to life. So Jesus is defining love here. 
And as he's defining it, he also is demonstrating it. So if you have your Bibles with you again, I would like for you to go to verse 17. Skip down to verse 17 in chapter 11, and this is what it says there. It says, but when Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews, who were with, with her in her house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was, he saw him. She fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and trouble. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have also kept this man from dying? This is a heavy part of the passage, but it demonstrates something in Jesus, and that is the fact that Jesus loves specifically. It's demonstrating something amazing about Jesus' love that Jesus loves specifically. See, the Bible tells us that God knows us before we are born. He knows everything about us. He knows our unique qualities. He knows how we act. He knows how we react to different situations. He knows our hearts. So when he comes to us in our lowest moments, when he comes to us in that place, in the middle of pain and disappointment and death, he does whatever it takes, again, to show his glory, to show his love to you and I. And like I said, love is giving people what they need most, not what people want most. And different people need different things in the midst of hurt and pain. I mean, look at Mary and Martha in this story. You probably have heard these names before. Mary and Martha are the same ones that Jesus visits in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, it's where um, Martha is the one that is making the meal and prepping. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. We can get into that whole story another time. But in the midst of it all, Mary says, you know, I'm going to listen. And Martha's like, Jesus, tell her to come and help me. This is the, the job that has to be done. So we see two very different personalities here. And in that personality, Martha, type A, go get her. Now, I thought about that as I typed that out. Is there a type B? I mean, seriously, I have never heard anybody, oh, you got a type B personality. No, it's only a type A. For whatever reason, that's it. It stops there. So she's the type A go-getter. So it's on demonstration here and in Luke 10. She's the one that runs out to Jesus. She is a doer. Mary, a bit more chill. 
She's the one that hangs back. She is a feeler. So you have the doer and you have the feeler. And what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus show his glory, glory to both Martha and Mary because that's why he came, isn't it? To show his glory. But how is he going to do it? Well, let's see what happens in the story. Martha comes out first. First, Mary stays behind. That's expected. But they both say the exact same thing to Jesus. One in verse 21, one in verse 32. You know what they say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So what you see here is the death of their brother, even though they have two very different personalities, is causing both of them to question the love of God. Because that's what death does. That's what disappointment does. That's what anger does. That's what hurt does. But Jesus answers that question in two very different ways. Even though they ask the same question, he answered two different ways. Martha, he loves her and answers the question by giving her truth. Some of you in this room are the ones who need truth. See, Martha's a thinker. She needs to make sense of all of it. So she tells Jesus, or she she hears Jesus tell her, excuse me, in verse 23, your brother will rise again. He, he gives her that truth, but she missed what he was trying to say in the midst of it all. She's thinking he's talking final resurrection. She's thinking theology, the study of God. And some of us do the same thing. We reason death and disappointment with heaven is coming eventually. We'll reason that in our heads, but Jesus says, this isn't some future thing. This is now. This is now, verse 25, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Jesus is saying, I am the son of God standing in front of you. Martha, believe that the resurrection is an event. Jesus is telling her the resurrection is a person. Martha believed that, that she had this knowledge of eternal life that was kind of this external abstract idea. But Jesus says this idea of eternal life is more than just an idea. It is a personal relationship. Then Martha thought victory over death was only something in the future, that we could have hope in the future. And Jesus corrects her and saying, nope, it's right now. It is a present reality. Jesus shows Martha, this woman who's just trying to make sense of all of her pain, that his love and his glory are what she needs by giving her the truth that she needs. See, before Lazarus died, her theology was just an idea that she had learned. It was just, just some idea. But Jesus says, don't trust in your idea. Trust in me. See me. Don't trust in some principle for the future. Trust me now. That's what he's trying to help her see. See, joy isn't on hold until we die. Joy isn't on hold until he comes back. We have joy today. Peace isn't on hold. Rest isn't on hold. Hope isn't on hold. All the things that we'll talk about at the Advent season, Advent, by the way, means waiting, we no longer have to wait because he is here now, and we have these things now and in the future. And what a beautiful thing that is. You know, even as we won't get to those things today, we also need to understand we're not going to get to those things by having Jesus fix our circumstances. Because that's often what we pray for. God, I could have hope and peace and joy and rest and love if you would just do this. And he says, nope, that's not the way I'm working. I will show you hope and joy and peace and love and rest in me, no matter what you're going through. And he says, you know what? You're going to get to these things by seeing who I am and all my glory and seeing how I love 
specifically. That is the truth if you're a truth person. It's the truth if you're not a truth person. But being a truth person is something some people want to hear that. Other people don't want to hear that, and that's the Mary. See, Martha was about the truth Mary he loves by giving her tears. Different. See, Martha with Jesus, he, he took her and stepped back and said, I want you to see the big picture. I want you to see all this from 10,000 feet. I want you to see the whole thing. And not just see the big picture, but see that I am the big picture. I am the point of life. Find joy and hope and peace and rest in that. I'm bigger than any circumstance. I'm bigger than any problem, including death. But with Mary, he doesn't go to 10,000 feet. He gets down on his knees and he cries with her. He, he weeps with her. Verse 33 through 35 says, when Jesus saw her crying, that's after her statement, by the way, in verse 32, where he said, why did you let my brother die? It says, when he saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. See, Martha ran out to Jesus. Mary, she hung back and she cried. She cried and she felt Martha had a funeral to prepare. Mary needed to mourn differently. And you know what? I've seen it a thousand times. When I go into a house, there's one person who's already doing all the preparation. There's another person who's off in the corner just wailing. There's still examples today. But Jesus gives the answer to both. See, Martha ran out. Mary hung back. And as she hung back, she needed to grasp the why through tears not through theology. She needed to hold on and ask those questions, and Jesus knew this, and he wept with her. I'm not sure how often you ever went to Bible camp growing up, but they'd always have the, hey, you need to memorize verses so you can get points for your team, blah, 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 all that stuff like that. Well, everybody memorized John 11:35 because it was two words. It was easy. But I think we missed the reason why we memorized it, and that's showing that Jesus has empathy, not just knowledge, not just truth, but empathy, and he empathizes with us. Mary didn't need answers. She needed somebody to get down on her level with her, and Jesus does that. We have a God who is not above pain and suffering. In Jesus, we have a God who suffered and died on the cross for you and for me. And he understands us. The Bible tells us that he feels and he empathizes with us and he understands our pain. He is a God who knows us. And he knows if we need truth, he's going to give us truth. And he knows if we need tears, he's going to give us tears. And he knows if we need a little bit of both, he'll do that too. That is the beauty of him knowing us. That is the beauty of that personal relationship. And I'm going to say, this is a great way to show the love of Christ. This is a great way to show the love of Christ and to shine the glory of Christ through you is to be that truth for somebody who needs truth and to be that tears for somebody who needs tears. And even better yet is knowing why you're doing it because you know that person on a level. I'll tell you, there's nothing more difficult than walking into a scene as a chaplain and having no idea what the person needs and you just stand there going. But when you know somebody on that personal level, You're able to give them what they need and how they need it and share that glory in Christ. So let's get back to our story here really quick. In verse 37 is where we left off, but I'm going to pick back up in verse 37 again. As it says these words, But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus was deeply moved again, and he came to the tomb. 
It was a cave and the stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told the Lord, he's already been in there four days. And if you have the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. There's a stench coming out of there right now. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I sa- and I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud, vo- loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So as we see this, we, we see that Jesus lets Lazarus die. That's the love that it took to get Mary and Martha and Lazarus and even us to see his glory. That was what it was about. But what if that were the end? What if that were the end? What if that was where Jesus like, all right, draw the line. I got you to see my glory. We're good to go. It wouldn't be a very glorious end. He knew there was something more to come. As a matter of fact, these last verses reveal it. As they reveal, we see that Jesus hates death, so he dies to kill it. Jesus hates death, so he dies to kill it. And it says in verse 33 and 38 that he was deeply moved. And in verse 33, goes even a little bit further to say that he was troubled. The actual translation here is the word angry. He was angry, some scholars say, at death. Other scholars say it was at the unbelief of everyone around. I don't have any way to judge entirely, and there's no way to completely know, but I think it might have been both. Not just death, not just unbelief, but both of them. First, this is why I think he was angry at death, because death isn't right. Death was not part of the plan. We get angry at death. If you've ever had somebody die before, you know that there are stages of grief. The first stage is shock, then denial, and you know what the third one is? Anger. Anger. We get angry at death, and Jesus sees this death happen, and not just happen, but happen to a close friend. And he doesn't just see this one death, I don't think. I think he sees the gross effects of all sin on all humanity, and he sees death not just in that funeral, but also he sees ours. And he sees everyone else's, and he sees the effects of sin, and he says, you know what, now that I've experienced this in his personal way, he knows something has to be done about it. And I, I shouldn't say that, because he knew long before that something needed to be done before it. That's why he came. He knew it, and he saw it, and he said, this is my mission. This is why I came, to die for death. I will take this death on myself and fight it. I got to thinking about this this week. When I had cancer, I knew that I could fight it. I knew everything inside of me was, was, was going to do what I could to do it. But I feel for my wife and my children who watched me fight it because there was nothing that they could do. 
except for pray. Sit back and watch me go through it. And I don't think I could be in that position. I couldn't do it. I, I want to be the one who is fighting. And I don't want to be the one who feels powerless. And I've seen families have had to go through that. And I began to think about that for Jesus. At, at some point, he's like, I want to be the one who fights this. And I am not powerless against it. And he steps up to do exactly that. See, Jesus wasn't powerless to fight against that cancer that is sin. And when he brings Lazarus back from the dead, did you know that he actually sealed his fate? Because the Jewish leaders that were all watching from around said, we can't have a guy who brings back people from the dead. We're going to lose our power. He signs his death certificate by bringing Lazarus back. You know, it's almost like this. Jesus gave life to Lazarus by taking death upon himself. And what he also did for you, he gave life to you by taking death upon himself. And he didn't just get angry at death, he did something about it. He died to kill it so that we, so that we could live. But he wasn't just angry at death. I truly believe he was angry at unbelief. Look what it says in verse 37. But some of them, they said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? I think for all of us, this unbelief is actually worse than death. See, death is just leaving this life for eternity. But unbelief will determine where you spend that eternity. Where you spend that eternity is entirely dependent upon who you trust. What's the question we've been asking over and over and over again for the last two months? Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? Do you believe what he is talking about? Will you believe it or will you question him and his ways with unbelief? Where do we stand in that? See, the truth is because of our sin, we have been separated from a perfect and holy God. And that means our eternal death is coming. And unless Jesus did something about it, which by the way he did, that death will be eternal. It'll be forever. It'll be separated from God forever. Okay, you just saying a lot of people know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to add a little bit of lightness to this, this part of the passage, all right? Because Christy's like, this is really heavy when I read it to her last night. I'm like, you're talking about death. What else can you do? Here, here's the thing. I think that's the reason why Jesus was angry at unbelief and he wants to fight it because he doesn't want us separated from God forever. He, he doesn't want that. This is why Jesus was willing to raise Lazarus from the dead and bring death to himself to draw the attention of the Jewish leaders to him and sign his death certificate. It was to fight unbelief. See, the message of the gospel is when Jesus was killed on that cross, he took on our sin and our death so we wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. That we could have eternal life. But we need to understand we don't just gain eternal life because that happened. We gain eternal life when we believe and trust that good news. Do you trust him? That's why I say unbelief is worse than death. And if Jesus was angry at death, you have to believe that he was also angry at unbelief. And as he hears it in the crowd around him, he hears that unbelief. Well, if he could do this, why doesn't he do that? We, we question God far too often. As he's listening, I can almost guarantee that he knows their eternal existence is on the line. So how does he deal with their unbelief? Well, he deals with it by calling the onlookers to be a part of the solution. 
This was probably the, the second biggest question I had. Why in the world does he tell them to move the stone? You know, he could have done like a Jedi thing. Just wrong, and it would have just rolled away. It would have been no big deal. But he tells them to get involved. And I think to myself, why would he do that? Well, I think he says, you do what you can do, and I'll take care of the rest. You do what you can do. I've called you to do things. We, we ask God to do things on our behalf, even though we can do them. Even in his power, he's going to say, you do what you can do. I am going to do the rest. Then in verse 42, you know, he actually prays on their behalf that they may believe. I think about Romans chapter 8 where the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and we don't know what to say. He's like, I am going to pray that their eyes are open, that they're going to see what's going to take place. Then verse 44, he actually has them take the bandages off of Lazarus. I think, well, why would you do that? And all I can think of is, is, is experience the miracle. Know that you are a part of it. I mean, when something great has happened in your life, that God has done something amazing, is that something you can look back on for future encouragement? Is that something we can look back on and say, oh, look what God has done and how he has worked in that. He has you be a part of it all. See, I don't think Jesus was content and let Lazarus stay in death, and he wasn't content with letting everyone who was watching stay in unbelief. And that's why he moved the way he did, and he gave them each what they needed most. And that was to see and experience the glory of God where they were. To see and experience the love of God where they were. So here it comes back around for you and for me. I want to go back to verse 25 and 26 to wrap up. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Remember what the question was up front? How much death is too much? How much disappointment is too much? How much does it take for me to walk away and give up on God? When does the pain and disappointment and hurt and even the anger become too much for me to want to continue this relationship with God? Like I've said, I've experienced a lot of death in my life. Some of those deaths have, have broken me. Some of those deaths have made me angry. Some of those have, have left me in shock. Some just hurt. And my guess is you could probably say the same thing. But here's the thing. If you focus on those things, you miss Jesus. You miss the most important thing. If you focus on those things, you miss Jesus. Instead, I need to see, we need to see that those feelings actually should draw me closer to Christ. To know the love of the temporary, it, it's going to fall apart, but the love of the eternal never will. It, it, it should draw me closer to Christ, and even more so, it should come, I, I should come to a realization that this life isn't it. That living for this life isn't it. I don't want another person to have to have a, not have the chance of meeting Jesus before they die. Because we know that everybody will meet Jesus after they die. But then it's too late to make that decision. It's our call. It's our mission to go and do these things. I want people to see that death in God's hands brings life. And that includes the death of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you know what happens? We die to ourselves. And then we take on this eternal life, or even as he says, the abundant life. 
I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. John chapter 10, verse 10. We see that here. So as we see that new experience in this new life, I'll leave you with the last question that Jesus left with the women. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because if you don't, let's talk about it. If you do, share it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you again for this hard message. We don't hear much on death or pain or disappointment, but it just seems like I hear so many stories as of late of death and pain and disappointment and sickness and brokenness and hurting. And God, we need you in the middle of it all. We may question how you're doing it or why you're doing it, but God, may it draw us closer to you. If there's somebody in here that is experiencing these things right now, the pain, the disappointment, the shock, the anger, the disbelief, all of the things that kind of fall into that, God, I, I pray that even today that you brought them closer to you. And if we haven't yet, God, when we do experience these things, it brings us closer to you, that we see your glory and we praise you for it. That's what it's all about. Help us to understand that. Help us to live that out today. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to have Jesse and the team sing this last song, but as they do, as you stand, as you sit, as you kneel, whatever you choose to do, I'm going to be over here, and I would love to talk to you about this. If you're watching online, maybe this is a time where, where you see the amazing grace of God and, and how it can apply to your life and how it can change you. If you've never experienced that, if you haven't believed in that yet, I want to talk to you. If you have, I want to challenge you to share it with people.